Psalm 102, and let's read this section, verses 12 through 17, and we'll take a look at the second reason why the Lord, Yahweh, is going to arise and have compassion on Zion. Verse 12, But you, O Lord, abide forever in your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. Here's the first reason. For it is time to be gracious to her. For the appointed time has come. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. Here's the second major reason. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in His glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. So we know the speaker here is the afflicted one. It is Jesus Christ Himself. He is the afflicted one. Do you ever feel afflicted? He is the weary one. Have you ever felt weariness? He is the one who has come, the Son of God, taking on humanity to be the second Adam, the incarnate Son of God. And as He walked on this earth, the burden and the oppression of our sins and the wrath of God upon our sins was laid on Him. He is under God's indignation and wrath. And God has lifted Him up. Just like He said in John, if I be lifted up, He was lifted up and He was cast away. He was abandoned by God for our iniquity. And what we've been seeing in this section is that the actions of the second Adam has ramifications upon believers. That His actions lay the foundation for our assurances. He took our iniquity. That is the foundation and the basis for our deliverance and our forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? But also, and we'll come to see this here, I think, but also the fact that His prayers were answered becomes the basis of our prayers being answered. Everything is wrapped up in Him. He is that one mediator between God and man. He is the second Adam, and we in Him, and He in us. So that His resurrection becomes whose resurrection? Ours. His resurrection is the ground of our assurance that we will be resurrected. And just to repeat, the grounds of His prayers being answered His prayers being answered become our assurance of our prayers being answered. It's all wrapped up in Him. 
And this afflicted one, the incarnate Son, is assured that God the Lord is going to arise and have compassion on Zion. You'll see that in verse 13 when he says, You, Yahweh, the Lord, capitalized, you will arise and have compassion on Zion. In the midst of his sufferings, those sufferings somehow have some connection with Zion's hope. What does he base that on? Well, it is time for the Lord to arise and have compassion on Zion because, verse 13, it's time. It is time. And that time was mutually agreed upon. So you remember our Lord would say, my hour has not yet come. Then He would say in that upper room, my hour has come. You know in the Garden of Gethsemane where that cup was offered to Him by God the Father. And he said, Lord, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will be done. And he gets up from that third time, and as it were, he takes the cup. And when Peter cuts off the ear of that servant Malchus, he turns to Peter and said, shouldn't I drink this cup? See, he takes the cup of our suffering. The time has come. The mutually agreed time has come. And not only that, but His servants not only have been looking forward to this, but they take pleasure, verse 14, in Zion's stones and feel pity for Zion's dust, meaning those building blocks are in need of reconstruction. How do we know it's reconstruction? Because in verse 16 it says, The Lord has built up who? Built up Zion. He has rebuilt Zion. And folks, the amazing thing here is this. That when we look at that second major reason that the Lord is going to arise and have compassion on Zion, that second major reason has an impact on Israel's enemies. Who were Israel's enemies? It was the nations. Right? Those who were not Jews. They were always attacking them. You think of Assyria. You think of Babylon. You think of Roman Empire. These were Gentile nations. You think of the land of Canaan. You think of all the skirmishes, all the battles King David would have had where he had to take back that land that God had given unto them. You think about all of this. The nations were Israel's problem. But God having compassion on Zion extended not only on the Jews, but also God is going to show His favor to the nations. Look at what it says in verse 15. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. That's amazing. 
So in Yahweh, God the Father's activity to show compassion and to rebuild Zion, and somehow this has some type of identification with the afflicted one, that God the Father's activities, that the nations would come to see that activity and it would have an impact on them. And they would fear the name of the Lord. Even governmental rulers, the kings of the earth. And you recall in Psalm 2, it says the kings of the earth have taken counsel and come together against the Lord and against His anointed. Right? But here you have this humongous promise that as God has compassion on Zion, not only on the Jew, but also on the Gentile, that the Gentiles are going to be affected by God having compassion on Zion, on Him rebuilding Zion. And what is going to happen? Well, verse 15, the kings of the earth and the nations are going to fear the what of the Lord? They're going to fear the name of the Lord. And they're going to fear His glory, all the kings of the earth, your glory. In other words, folks, Yahweh's name is going to rest upon the minds of Jews and Gentiles forever. Now why do I say forever? Well, look at verse 12. You, O Lord, abide forever, and Your name, how long? To all generations. To all generations of Jews? Yes or no? But also to all generations of of the nations, of Gentile people. His name is going to be upon their hearts and their minds forever. Because the Lord abides forever. That that if 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 you just read this and have a similitude of that, that is jaw dropping. Because Israel thought it was all about who? It's all about them. But it's not all about them. It's about the world. That God is going to do something. And folks, this was predicted. <clears throat> I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 52. Now when I say turn to Isaiah 52, you're probably immediately thinking in your mind, hey, that's right before Isaiah 53. And we know Isaiah 53 is all about Christ, right? But folks, Isaiah 53 is part of what is known as the fourth servant psalm in Isaiah. There's actually four sections where Isaiah prophesies about the servant of the Lord. And that fourth Isaiah psalm of the servant begins in chapter 52, verse 13. So let's read it. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. 
Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Now note verse 15. Thus, you see that word? Based upon the servant's foretold prosperity, that he was going to be high and lifted up. But how do you reconcile that with his appearance is more marred than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. But in that marring and in that form, more than the sons of men, he's going to accomplish something, verse 15. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Why? For what had not been told them, they will what? And what they had not heard, they will understand. Everybody see that? And folks, that verse, verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 52, was Paul's driving verse for his ministry. He says so in the book of Romans. That there would be people who had not heard, but they will understand. And there are people who have not seen, but they will see. And he wanted to go to those lands where the gospel's never been preached so that they would see and that they would understand. That was his driving passion. And folks, did that happen? Where did the Gentiles hear? And did some of them see? And did some of them believe? Folks, all because of what this afflicted one did. What God the Father accomplished through the incarnate Son on behalf of all mankind. It's amazing. And folks, perhaps that's one of the reasons after Isaiah writes, look, these nations are going to be sprinkled, meaning they would be cleansed, and these kings are going to shut their mouths. And then Isaiah 53 begins this way. Who's believed our report? Now folks, that statement is based upon Israel's rejection of his preaching. Israel rejected this. But Gentile people, they will hear and they will see and they will understand. And that's exactly what you see in the book of Acts, isn't it? As we see the spread of that gospel. And all of this activity that is going on is because Yahweh, God the Father, is rebuilding. He has rebuilt Zion. We saw that last Wednesday when we took a look at that message. Now folks, these people, as we go back to Psalm 102, these people, these nations, and these kings, all of this is a result of God arising and having compassion on Zion. And this is all happening because God is going to have compassion and build up Zion, verse 16. Now look at what He's going to do when He starts doing this. He has appeared in His glory. 
He has appeared in His glory. Folks, what is the glory of God that they're going to see and hear and understand? Did you know what it says? He has built up Zion. He has appeared. That seems to indicate, does it not, that this isn't merely the Shekinah glory. This isn't just a cloud so thick that the priest could not minister. He has appeared. How does that read to you? That people are going to see this under this sun in this fallen world. And that He is going to appear in His what? In His glory. So the question is, if the Gentiles are going to fear Yahweh's glory, they're going to fear God because they're going to see His glory, that Yahweh actually becomes visible in this glory. Otherwise, they don't what? They don't see Him. Now folks, I think it's very important for us to understand something about God here. And for that, I want you to go back to the prophet Isaiah. But not to chapter 52. I want you to go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah chapter 42. Now we looked at earlier the fourth servant psalm in Isaiah. There's only four. In each of those psalms, the Lord will say something about the servant and then He will give a result that arises out of that. Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 1, is the first servant psalm. And if you don't have a notation in your Bible, I suggest that you go through and put that there to help you know that. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And I'm going to stop before the servant psalm actually stops, but I want you to to just get the context of this. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to who? The nations. Now, do you recognize anything in that first verse? Because if you, if, if you were a good Bible notation person, you would have some notes here. Because I have brought this to your attention. If 
Folks, when Jesus, when Jesus was baptized by John, he comes out of the water and what lights upon him? The Holy Spirit comes upon him in the form of a, a dove. It was in the form of a dove because the dove was for sacrifice if you were a poor person. But here's the point. Did the Holy Spirit come upon the incarnate Son for His ministry? The answer to that is yes. So when it says, I have put my Spirit upon Him, assuming that that you believe that the servant is Jesus Christ, did that happen? It did happen. All right, what else happened at that baptism? And it happened two other times. A voice from heaven said something. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Did you note that here? My chosen one in whom my soul what? You could translate it, my chosen one in whom my soul is well pleased. God the Father's quoting this servant song to identify Christ as the servant. Isn't that wonderful? So right away, it should have drawn the attention at least to the Jewish leaders who profess to know their Bibles. Right back to here to know that this man was the servant of Isaiah foretold. He goes on. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor will he make <clears throat> nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands. Did you did you see that? The coastlands. Where's that? That's the Gentiles, right? The coastlands will wait expectedly for his law. Now folks, portions of this is still yet to be brought to pass. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, <clears throat> who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Now that's the servant. I've called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant. Was He appointed our covenant? Read in Hebrews. To the people, as a light, to who? To the Gentiles, to the nations. To open blind eyes, to bring prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from prison. Now note verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, 
And I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Everybody see that? Folks, God's not going to give the fullness of His glory to an idol. God's not going to give the fullness of His glory to a mere building. God's not going to give the fullness of His glory to anything but one person, the servant. God, the Father, gave His glory in the person of Christ. Folks, Colossians 8, 9 says this, In Him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Is that not glorious? And so we can turn Turn to John just so you see it with your own eyes. You understand now why those apostles coming to a fuller and fuller understanding know exactly what's happening here. <clears throat> that God the Father was going to give the servant His glory. He's not going to give it to anyone else. So, in Him dwells the Godhead bodily. So look at what John writes. Verse 14. John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh. Everybody see that? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw what? His glory. Everybody see that? You say, well, what glory are you talking about? The glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, we saw Him. We saw His glory. We saw the incarnate Son of God. We saw God in human flesh. We saw the servant that Isaiah prophesied about. So that John would write, Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. Not even Moses. Moses only saw the backside of God, right? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, meaning not, not that He became born, not that God, God was born, but the only begotten, meaning the only manifested one, the only begotten God who is where? In the bosom of the Father. He, He has exegeted Him. So that when you see Him, you see the Father. When you hear Him talk, you hear who? The Father. When you see His activity, you're watching the activity of God the Father. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus Christ bodily. He was the servant of Isaiah foretold. And God's not going to give His glory to anybody else but the incarnate Son of God. 
And folks, when we go back to Psalm 102, that's exactly what the Gentile nations are going to see. They're going to see the appearance of God in His glory. They're going to hear God who has appeared in His glory. And that incarnate Son is the afflicted one who is taking great assurances and great confidences that God's going to hear His prayer on behalf of His people. That He's going to bear the wrath of God for their sins. The result is going to be that in that moment, God is having compassion on Zion. A Zion that will be filled with Jews and Gentiles. A people yet to be created. That is amazing. All that here in this psalm. And folks, he says so in verse 17. He, Yahweh, has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. This verse really created for me a lot of difficulty. I really had to look at this verse and really had to work with this verse. (laughs) And here is what I see here in this verse. The word destitute. God has regarded the prayer of the destitute. That word is singular. Then it says, He has not despised their prayer. Their prayer is not singular, it's what? It's plural. You see my difficulty coming to the passage. Not only that, but the word destitute means to be made bare or naked. It would be an accurate translation to say he has regarded the prayer of the naked one. So here's what I see. Yahweh has turned... He has regarded. He has turned to the prayer of the afflicted one. To the one stripped bare. To the naked one. Now folks, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He was stripped bare. The afflicted ones will be delivered. He will be delivered. The afflicted one years will not come to an end. That's what he's been praying. That he would not be cut off in condemnation from the land of the living. But that God would extend his years. And did God extend his years? Forever so that He could extend our years forever.
God the Father, Yahweh, has turned His ear to the prayer of the afflicted one. Isn't there a sweetness in that? And not only that, Yahweh has not despised their prayer. Folks, Yahweh, because of the afflicted one, Yahweh is not despising the prayers of His servants either. Do we hear that? We're going to pray here in just a few moments. Do you realize the ground of your praying to God is not your goodness? It's even not your rightness with God. It's His rightness and His dying for us and His being seated at the right hand of God the Father. That God the Father regarded His prayer singular and now He regards our prayers. His servants the same ones that are mentioned in verse 14. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones. The same servants that are mentioned in verse 18, that this is written to a people yet to be created so that they may praise the Lord. To His people, verse 21, who are telling the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem. To these people, verse 22, when the peoples are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord. These are believers. This is us. And folks, I know personally, and I'm assuming that you've had these same thoughts, that the basis of my prayers being answered depends on my nearness to Him. I can never be near enough. But because He's near and I'm in Him, I'm near enough. Everybody see that? Folks, there are times when I begin to wonder about my prayers, my scriptural prayers, and I say to myself, there must be something wrong in me that these scriptural prayers are not being seen. Folks, the basis of scriptural prayers being answered is because of Him. So pray. Amen? Pray. Pray those scriptural things with all confidence. Because Yahweh has heard Him. And Yahweh has delivered Him. And Yahweh has raised him up from the dead. And he is seated at the right hand of God. And because of all that, I have the assurance that all those things can happen to me. That I can be delivered. And my body is going to be raised from the dead. And I'm going to be with him forever and ever. Because of his sufferings, in His death, in His resurrection, because of the Gospel. What a wonderful thing it is that the ground of our prayers and our assurance in those prayers is not because we're so good, but because God the Father answered the prayer 
of His dear Son. The afflicted, the weary one, the destitute one, the one that was made bare on our behalf. So let's go to Him in prayer.